You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 173. Harmony Dust talks about survivor leadership. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, one of the many opportunities and uh, blessings we have of having this show uh, been going now for seven plus years is that we've been able to learn and grow along with many of our guests. And today we are going to be welcoming back a past guest to the podcast uh, who is uh, continuing to learn and grow herself. So this is this is an adventure and a constant state of learning for all of us as, as we so focus on in the Global Center for Women and Justice, don't we? Yes, I'm really excited that if you didn't meet Harmony Dust, before, go back and listen to podcast number 37. Harmony is the founder and executive director of Treasures, a Los Angeles, California-based nonprofit organization for women in the sex industry. When completing a master's degree in social work at UCLA in 2003, Harmony founded Treasures as a dream born from a broken past and a heart healed by the love of God. Treasures is the first and only organization of its kind in the adult industry capital of the world, San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles County, and one of the few survivor-led organizations in the country. The mission of Treasures is to reach, restore, and equip women in the commercial sex industry and victims of sex trafficking in order to help them live healthy, flourishing lives. And we'll talk some more about the treasures outreach as we engage. But welcome to the show, Harmony. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back. Well, I'm really excited because when I heard that you had written a Scars and Stilettos second edition, I pre-ordered my copy and it came last week. Yay. I'm. It's It's so, so exciting. Tell us what's new in it. Yeah, well, first and foremost, People who are familiar with the first edition will notice the facelift, completely new design and just updated with the times. But also in addition to that, there is a new epilogue, some new endorsements. And I went throughout and reread the entire thing and was able to just use the past, you know, almost 10 years of experience since I wrote the first edition to insert new insights that I've had as I've grown as a person and as a leader and new parts of the story that I wasn't necessarily completely comfortable sharing before, but I thought were important to include for the sake of, you know, giving other people hopefully some insight. So Dr. Henry Cloud, who I've read all of his books, he says that your book exposes the realities of the commercial sex industry and inspires hope that freedom and healing are possible. That was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And, and I think yeah. one of the things people don't understand is that the hypersexualized media stories that we see in our movies and sitcoms, 
that end in 30 minutes or whatever. Those are not the realities. And so it isn't an easy thing to write this kind of story. No, yeah, it's not. Tell us about what that's like. Well, first of all, when I first started Treasures almost 15 years ago, I just really felt like there was such silence, especially in the church, around stories of any kind of sexual brokenness at all. And so, you know, for me, the charge that I felt was to break the silence and to encourage myself and the women around me who have similar shared experiences that our story matters. And it's, you know, it doesn't matter if the church is uncomfortable. It doesn't matter if the world at large is uncomfortable with hearing the truth and the reality of the commercial sex industry. We have to be willing to tell the truth. And so that's kind of how things were about 15 years ago. Now the pendulum has swung a little bit and now there's a lot more, not just tolerance for survivor stories, but a desire to hear them. So we have to be careful not to unintentionally re-exploit survivors by, you know, using their stories or asking them to share them when they're not ready. But so now my new message is my story matters, but it doesn't define me. Can yeah, you can you back up okay. just a little bit and define yeah. for for everybody what is the commercial sex industry that you're talking about? The commercial sex industry in, includes porn, stripping, escorting, street prostitution, dominatrix, any area where sex is being bought or sold and people are being bought or sold for someone else's sexual gratification. Well, and I always love the fact that you use the term commercial here because it clearly is a business that, and the business plan is to make money. So it's all about profit and greed. It's really not about the sex. Yeah, and there's such a facade of glamour around it that I'm really passionate about exposing the truth and the reality behind it. And I think that not only is our media reinforcing messages that the sex industry has, a, you know, this kind of female empowerment thing to it, which it doesn't. And I can go into that in a minute. But um, I was just talking about this with one of my coworkers. There is a very small percentage of people who are not vulnerable and are not forced into the sex industry or are not making the choice to enter out of complete vulnerability. But they're a very vocal group of people So like, for example, I just had a BuzzFeed video done of my story and it has like almost 3 million views. And it's really wild because so many of the most vocal people who have been in the sex industry that are commenting are saying, I was in the sex industry and I love it and it's great. And, you know, but you're, we're not hearing the voices of the most vulnerable and the most oppressed. And the reality is, and as you know, 89% of women in the sex industry want to leave, but don't see any other options. And so my question is then, what is choice without option? So are these women who are very vulnerable, up to 90% experiencing sexually, sexual abuse, very high percentage have post-traumatic stress disorder at rates that are actually surpassing combat war veterans. So this is a very vulnerable group of people who wants to leave the commercial sex industry, but doesn't see other options. So what is choice without option? But one of the challenges is the even though the percentage of people who might say, hey, this is great, we like the sex industry, is so much smaller, they're so much more vocal. And so what I'm really hoping to give a voice to is that 89% of us that are not feeling at all empowered by the sex industry and are in fact feeling traumatized and victimized by the sex industry. So Harmony, your leadership has been um, inspiring to me 
we've worked together. We did a presentation for the Religious Alliance Against Pornography. You've been a speaker at Vanguard University. I follow you around. I watch your Twitter feed and your Instagram, and your voice counts, and you multiply yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think my biggest question is, how did you go from Survivor Voice 15 years ago to Survivor Leader? Yeah, that's a great question. It certainly didn't happen overnight. And for me, I do think it was important to just engage in my own healing and recovery journey first. And I think that's really important to mention for anyone out there who works with survivors or who is a survivor, because I think right now I'm seeing a tendency to take someone who has a story of trauma and having been in the commercial sex industry or having been exploited and you know, thinking like, well, because they have a story, let's give them a platform and make them a, a survivor leader. When in reality, they might not be in a place where they're ready because they haven't done the work to get the healing that they need. And, you know, it can be just putting them in a super vulnerable position to thrust them into that role of survivor leader before they're actually ready. And so for me, I went through a lot of recovery first and a lot of healing before I got to a place where I could share my story and I could speak to this issue. And then once I got that recovery, for me, the kind of the first like hallmark of becoming a survivor leader was this revelation that all the pain that I've been through, I didn't want it to be for nothing. And that I really believed that there could be purpose in my pain and that I wanted to use the pain that I went through and that I overcame to just hopefully help and inspire other women and girls to overcome as well. And so that's kind of where the journey started. And, I, you know, I'm still learning how to be a leader and reading leadership books and, you know, learning from other leaders that have gone before me. So it's definitely an ongoing process. But I think it started with that revelation that I could help other people. Well, I just have to insert right here that if you're on this refining your leadership journey, you need to start listening to Dave's podcast, which is Coaching for Leaders. So I love what you said about sur for survivors listening, you know, and that part. But I want to look at the people like me who don't have this experience. We were never exploited, but we become leaders and we influence a lot of people. And there are people sitting in, in places like mine where they have influence. They're the leader of an organization. And I want them to have better tools to be able to identify and assess if the survivor who they've identified would make a great story for this or that, whatever, how do they, how do they know if, if this person is not going to be re-exploited by telling their story? It's too soon. That's a great question, and I'm so glad that you asked it. First of all, I think it's important to communicate to survivors that, you know, their story is their story and they get to choose if and when they ever decide to share it, right? So, you know, a lot of us have overcome different challenges in life, whether it be, you know, people have overcome addiction, alcoholism, people have overcome anxiety, depression, but not everyone is being pulled into this experience of sharing publicly from a platform. And not all of us are going to want to do that, right, with the things that we've overcome. So it's the same thing for survivors. So we really need to respect and just, so before I ever talk to anyone about sharing their story from any platform, 
I'm very clear, like, you know what, this is a, this is a big decision and it's your decision to make. You need to decide if this is something that you're feeling really called and led to do. But then beside that, I think it's important that before we're inviting survivors to this platform, that we have some form of relationship with them so that we can sense and see, you know, how are they responding when they share their story in more intimate settings? Is it leaving them feeling really triggered? Are they super emotional about it? If so, then they might not be ready to do it on a larger platform. So some of it is using just discretion about seeing kind of how they're responding. But the other thing that's really important, too, is that if and when we do decide to invite a survivor to share their story and to speak from a platform, that they also be given just really empowered to share what they feel comfortable with and only that, and that their experience of trauma is not the only thing that they can put a voice to. And I think it's important also rather than, you know, just saying, hey, we want you just to come and share your story, to actually invite them to deeper conversations that they have expertise to be a part of. Like, for example, what do you think is needed in the movement? What do you think survivors need in their recovery journey? How can we better support and care for survivors? And giving them opportunities to answer deeper questions like that beyond just reliving and revisiting the trauma from their past, I think that's a more empowering way of giving them a platform. I remember there was one time where I was being interviewed by a very well-known documentary maker, and he was asking so many really in-depth conversations about, I mean, uh, in-depth questions about my story and really going places that I thankfully have the kind of boundaries to be able to say, you know what, I'm not comfortable answering that question. But that's after, you know, 20 years of recovery that I can say that and do that. And I know that about myself, but he was still asking. And at the end of the interview, he says, you know, is there anything else you want to add? Is there anything we didn't cover? And I said, yeah, actually, we haven't talked at all about who I am today. We haven't talked at all about treasures or the work I'm doing. I'd like to include that. And he paused for a second and he looked off and he turned back to me, said, you know what? I think we've got what we need. And he had the cameraman turn the camera off. All he wanted was the trauma. Right. And so when we do that to people, we are re-exploiting their trauma. We are just we're disempowering them. And the message behind that is that the most important thing about you is the trauma that you've been through. So we're still defining them by their past and by their trauma. And that's not what God does to us. So that's kind of my. uh, Wow. Thank you for letting me share. (laughs) If, If anybody is listening to this podcast and you only have five minutes, just pull out this section and share it with your with your friends because that is absolutely imperative when we're asking survivors to tell their stories there's so many risk factors and and kind of backing up still cuz i want to stay here for a little while the idea that someone has trauma and someone with power and influence invites them into our space to tell their story and they say yes you mentioned and kind of implied earlier that that trauma impairs some of their decision making at and until they're you know it it takes a while and I'm stumbling here because I don't have words around this but yeah as a leader I I have a bet bigger responsibility in protecting a survivor that I invite to to speak and yep. to share their story and they may be very eager. Oh, yeah, I want to do this. This is going to be great. And I feel really called to do this. And then afterwards, you know, they're having flashbacks and all these. I should be right. wiser. And that's what I've learned not to just assume that because they say, okay, that it is okay. 
Right, absolutely. And I learned this, unfortunately, the hard way where, you know, I had a woman about 10 years ago say, yes, absolutely, I want to do this interview for this newspaper. And she was super eager and excited about it. And she did that interview and she completely relapsed and went back to using drugs after it. And it was just, I don't think that was a coincidence. I think it was too much for her. It opened doors that she wasn't ready to open. So we have to be really careful and really responsible and discerning about this piece. And then the other thing is, is, you know, for people who have been exploited and their identity and their sense of boundaries and sense of self through exploitation has been completely kind of disempowered and stripped away from them. There's a process in recovery for people who have experienced that kind of victimization that includes learning boundaries and learning that you can say no, it's okay to say no, and that you don't have to say yes and please the people in power around you, because that's what the sex industry tells us is to say yes to everyone and everything. That is our job is to say yes and to say we like it, right? And so it takes a while for us to learn to say no and to even know that we're not okay with certain things. So there's a certain amount of recovery and healing that has to happen for a person to get to that place. So I have a question for both of you, because I think this is a really key point, And it's a point we've made on the show before of being very careful we're not re-exploiting survivors. And I'm looking at one of the graphics you shared on social media a while back, Harmony, of the recovery process of the expectation that it's a straight line. And yet the reality is, is this really squiggly line that goes back and forth all over the place. Yeah. For both of you, what are the things that you have found that have been indicators when you're talking to a survivor and you're trying to, as a leader, make that determination, even if they say that it's okay, what have been the indicators Mm -hmm. to you that have been the things you've noticed that both inform you that maybe it is okay to move forward? And what are the things you notice that maybe tell you it's not okay? Because I think there's probably others in our audience that would benefit from that perspective. One thing I look at is when they share with me about their experiences, are they just telling me about the trauma or have they started to have insight about the trauma? So are, you know, it's one thing to say, you know, I was sexually abused as a kid and to talk about that abuse, but it's another thing to then see and connect like, oh, that experience of being sexually abused left me comfortable with feeling sexualized and objectified. And that played a part in me entering the sex industry. Mm. So it's when you start to hear those kinds of insights, when someone's sharing their story, that's giving you an indication that they've done some work and they've started to process the trauma and to connect dots. And the other thing is, is again, this is through relationship, which, which is why I think it's important to, you know, have some kind of relationship if you can with the person that you're invited to the platform. But again, are they really triggered when they share their story? Do they get really emotional? Are they in a place in their life where you're seeing them start to give back and support other people and process other people's pain? And that tells me that they're moving to a more of a leadership place as well. And, you know, if I, and I have the benefit of working very closely with these women. So I'm also looking, am I seeing a lot of codependency and enabling? Are they trying to rescue the people around them or are they really able to show up in a way that is healthy for other people? So it's kind of looking at those clues to give you an idea of whether or not they're ready. Mm, that's super helpful. Thank you. Sandy, So yeah, and, and I kind of have in my tool chest kind of a little checklist of assessment questions and asking them. And I try to ask a question that I might, that I know might trigger something in a private setting first. 
and let them know ahead of time. And that actually reminds me of years ago when I was a facilitator for a panel and I wanted to ask you a question and I I let you know ahead of time that I want to ask you what would have changed everything for you. And you talked about if somebody had helped my mom and you became mm-hmm. uh, kind of emotional on the phone. So I said, well, maybe we won't do it. And you're like, no, I, I want to tell that. And, yeah. and you could see that you could connect the dots and you could see how that would educate a community to be more uh, proactive and preemptive in, in engaging um, the most vulnerable before they're exploited. And, and that kind of, yeah. of conversation was just an example of how you and I were doing this. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, yeah, that's a great illustration. So wow. even though that was a situation where that question brought up emotions for me, I'm not saying we should share our stories in a completely emotionless robotic way. Although after I've still told my story one million times, sometimes it's difficult to connect to it emotionally. But if it is emotional, like you said, that we're still able to connect the dots and bring that educational piece to it, I think is really important. And and that kind of brings me back to where we started with leadership. So you didn't just rewrite this to, to provide an up-to-date copy. You had some goals in mind. So what do you want people who read Scars and Stilettos edition to, to understand? To be totally honest, one of my survival mechanisms has always been be strong, you know, And so when I first wrote Scars and Stilettos, I definitely was writing it from a place of not being comfortable with my own victimization and vulnerability because that didn't feel safe for me to show that so clearly. Also, I'm really big on responsibility for choices. And so I erred really on the side of, you know, taking personal responsibility for what's mine to take responsibility for. But also codependently, I didn't share certain things because I was afraid of, I didn't want to hurt people's feelings. And even now in this edition, people who know my mom and know my situation intimately are like, wow, you were really gracious with that because you didn't, you didn't share everything that you could have. But I do think in this edition, I'm more comfortable with the, how vulnerable I was and and the ways in which I was victimized and, and manipulated. And I'm more comfortable seeing that in myself. So I was more comfortable shedding light on those parts of my story. And then just in general, I've gone from a place, like you said, from survivor to overcomer. And now we we call it survivor, overcomer, liberator. And so, you know, to survive something means you got through it and you're alive. To overcome something, you know, to me means that you've, you've gotten past it and it doesn't have a grip on you anymore. But to move to the next phase is liberator. And that's when you're using your freedom to bring freedom to other people. And so that's the place that I'm at now in my life. And so I was able to also write a little bit more from that perspective as well. I also updated the the end of the book with just a bit that I wrote on getting past your past and some, you know, hopefully practical steps that people can take in their healing journey. That I read that whole chapter last night before I went to sleep, and it was uh, such an encouragement. And so, as we you know get into the last five minutes of our time together, and you are going to have to come back because I would like to spend a half an hour on the boundaries section. Yeah. But what do you see for treasures in the future? 
training others to become liberators. Uh, your leadership is exploding. Uh, I think you've been on like six different continents teaching. Tell us yeah. about the future of treasures. Yeah. So years ago, when we when I first there was an article on Glamour magazine that was written about the work that we do, and we started receiving calls and emails from women all over the globe looking for help. And we also started receiving calls from people and churches wanting to help. And so for me, connecting the dots was, okay, this woman in this city needs help and this person in the city wants to help. But I think it's super important that people are equipped and given the tools they need. We had a situation that happened, you know, and I believe it was 2007 where a woman contacted us and, you know, I just encouraged her since there weren't any resources in her very small town to get connected to the local church. And she did. And she went there and asked for prayer at the end of the service and ended up speaking with the pastor's wife and told her, you know, that she had been exploited. She was feeling stuck in prostitution. She was a single mom. And the pastor's wife said, I really wish you weren't telling me this right now. You're making me uncomfortable. And so she went home and the next morning her car was vandalized and on it was written, so-and-so is a blank, just fill in the blank with a horrendous word. And she thought, well, maybe that was a coincidence. So she went back to that church the next week again. And I couldn't believe that she was actually that bold and willing to do it. And when she did, she came to drop her child off at, at the children's ministry. And they said, I'm sorry, you and your child are not welcome here. And I was, of course, completely outraged and hurt and devastated for her. But what I also learned in that experience is that the church needs to be equipped. Because if that's the church's response to someone who's been a victim and been exploited, then we have a long way to go. And I am passionate about educating the church and also training and equipping those people who do feel called to reach and care for women in the sex industry and victims of trafficking in their cities. And so we started a training program where we do um, trainings to teach people how to do outreach and how to do care in a way that is using best practices, is sustainable, and is actually effective. And so we have trained outreaches in over 120 cities on six continents now. And it's my desire to continue that work and train people in every city on the, in the, globe, on the globe where the commercial sex industry is operating. Well, Harmony, you are a multiplier. And my favorite book that Dave gave me to read this year was by Liz Wiseman about multipliers. And you definitely are on the top of that list and that defines your leadership. You do for others and set them up for success so that they can replicate the kind of success that, that you've lived. And I know it has not been an easy journey and there's been a price to mm-hmm. pay. And I'm, I'm just delighted to recommend this book to our listeners as a great way to get up to speed on how to engage with people caught up in the sex industry. And and I'm not sure how we can start to change the vocabulary, but I feel really strongly that as long as we use normal business language and we talk about sex trade, sex industry, it kind of has a way of taking away the exploitative nature of that and makes it sound like it might be a real job. And this is right. like the next conversation. So I want to have boundaries for how I talk about that. And we have to start having this conversation about how we can better 
define how this works in in our communities. Media can't define for us a glamorized image of sexual exploitation. Absolutely. So That's a great conversation that we need to have. Yeah. So we'll put we'll fold that in. We're going to get this planned and talk about boundaries and and our language. We have to have boundaries for that as well. So I'm going to give you one final statement as we sign off. Then uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again. Anything you want to awesome. say? First of all, thank you for listening. If you're interested in getting trained, we would love to train you. And if also, if you're interested in my memoir, Scars and Stilettos, you can visit our website at IamATreasure.com. That's IamATreasure.com. And find out more information about training, our memoir, and the other resources we have. But I just want to encourage people out there who have a heart for this to get equipped to do the work, to do it well, because it's so important. And caring for survivors is such a delicate thing. And I really want to make sure that we're doing it in the best way that we possibly can to set them up for a win so that they can become liberators. Outstanding. I'm your number one fan. Well, no, I'm not. Aww. I know other people in your family that are, but I'll take number <laughs> 11 or 12. Aww, okay, thank thanks, Harmony, for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you, Harmony. Uh, Sandy, gosh, so much here that you know we continue to learn and grow from. And uh, we are also now inviting you to take the very first step. I hope you'll hop online and download a copy of Sandy's book, The Five Things You Must Know, A Quick Start Guide to Ending Human Trafficking. The guide teaches you the five critical things that Sandy has identified that you should know before you join the fight against human trafficking. You can get access to that right now by going to endinghumantrafficking.org. Right on the main page there, you'll see a place to get access to that. We will be back in two weeks for our next conversation. In the meantime, if we can be helpful to you in any way, send us a message, feedback at endinghumantrafficking.com. Especially if today's conversation has raised some questions for you, we will be sure to address that in a future episode. Sandy, always a pleasure. Thank you, Harmony, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks, Dave. Take care, everyone.